0: Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. A very warm welcome to this episode of PageCast, brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. My name is Pippa Hudson. I'm the host of the lunchtime show on talk radio station Cape Talk, which broadcasts out of Cape Town in South Africa. And it is such a pleasure to be invited onto this podcast to introduce a South African born writer to you today and to chat about her latest novel, which is set largely in my home country. The Fire Portrait is the third novel published by writer Barbara Much, and it is a work of historical fiction set in the early to mid 1900s. The book tells the story of Frances Whittington, a very headstrong and talented young British woman who aspires to a career as a professional artist but is constrained to a degree by the social norms of the time. Well, that is until an unexpected change of her family's fortunes propels her into a new world where head and heart must compete with her artist's eye to craft a future for herself. Barbara, it's a delight of a read. Welcome to PageCast and welcome back to South Africa. I know you were born and raised here, but home is mainly in the UK these days.
1: That's right. Thank you, Pippa. It's lovely to be here to talk about the fire portrait. Yes, I was born in South Africa. I'm the granddaughter of Irish grandparents who migrated to this country over a century ago. Mm -hmm. So I have Irish stock, but South Africa is my home, although for the most part, I spend quite a lot of each year in the UK.
0: You do, though, come back regularly. We do. uh, You have a home here in the Cape, uh, which is... I'm sure, what allows you to write so beautifully and evocatively about the space um, as you know it today. Yes. Uh, Before we talk about the book, Barbara, I'm intrigued to know about your your journey as a writer because I believe you were a pharmacist before you took to publishing I
1: was. I was. uh, I went to Rhodes University and qualified there. uh, And I worked as a pharmacist for about 10 years, then went into various other things, as one does when you have a young family. It's Mm. all about juggling. And then when my family and I were transferred to the UK uh, in the mid-90s, I, I was at somewhat of a loss and I started to write, I think probably more out of homesickness than anything else. And initially I thought I was writing a tribute to my Irish grandparents and I introduced a fictional character And I realized that it was her story that I wanted to tell. And that became The Housemaid's Daughter, which took about 10 years to come to fruition and was published in 2012. Um, And that that was quite difficult because, of course, I'm as a pharmacist and and various other things. I had no profile as a writer at all. So it was quite a challenge to find uh, an agent and a publisher who would be prepared to go with somebody with no profile. Mm. So I was lucky. I had uh, timing uh, on my side, as it turned out, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet an agent who was intrigued by, by my writing.
0: And with the success of The Housemaid's Daughter, I'm guessing the second publication must have been easier and the third, hopefully, still easier after that. Now, The Fire Portrait is at its heart a story of migration. It's uh, Mm. the story of outsiders trying to build a life uh, in a new home far from what they know and know to be comfortable and comforting. As you have referenced, you are yourself the granddaughter of Irish migrants. Did their Mm. experience or did any of the sort of family treasure trove of stories of their journey Influenced the writing of this book
1: very much so. Uh, when i was when I was about six or seven years old, my Irish grandmother, who was a music teacher, taught me to play the piano. And as elderly people do, she loved to reminisce, and she would tell me about what it was like to be a young Irish woman growing uh, living in Craddock, which is mm. where they settled and and how daunting it was. Because, like Frances in the fire portrait, she didn't speak the local language. So it was very hard to settle. And she used to tell me that she would fantasize that just beyond the copies, the rocky copies of the Karoo, lay the green hills of Ireland. And that was something that sustained her. And those memories really stayed with me so that when I started writing, I I imagined what it would be like to arrive in an environment like that, where you are completely on your own, you're isolated, you don't speak the language, you look different, and how you would manage, particularly against the backdrop of historical events Mm. that begin to have an impact on the community.
0: Barbara, of course, at the time you were writing this book, you also had going on around you in your adopted continent of Europe another migration crisis, which I'm guessing probably must have played into your consciousness, the awareness of people desperate to find something better, prepared to put up with all kinds of hardships in the hope that there might be something better at the end of that journey. Did that really um, compel your character to a degree? Yes,
1: it, it did make me think about how we respond to migrants in our community because Frances in the fire portrait really only starts to make headway in her small fictional community of Allo Glen when she offers free art lessons to the local children she senses a softening amongst Mm. the people that she's living with and she hopes that this will be a way in but then (laughs) Things change because this is the 1930s and the world is on the march towards another world war. And Francis's community are, are very suspicious about what is going to happen and the implications for their young men if South Africa becomes involved on the side of Britain in a world war. Francis finds herself, in fact, once again isolated. And when her husband decides to volunteer on the side of the Allies, she is shunned by her local community.
0: This community um, is, is really caught between two wars because as much as there is the inevitable march towards World War Two. There are also the deep, deep scars left by the Anglo-Boer War. And I think Very it's worth a sidebar so. here, Barbara, for those who are not familiar with South African history, just to to comment on the, the deep divisions that that war's legacy left between Afrikaans and English-speaking South Africans.
1: Very much so. And in fact, it, it, it features in the book... Um, The the treatment of Boer women and children during the Anglo-Boer War was something that still rings true today. And so there were many within the country who felt that they were not prepared to side once again with Britain in any upcoming conflict. In fact, there were a number of people who who supported Germany at that time because Germany had supported the old Boer Republics. So it was an awkward situation for Francis, and in fact, when the South African Parliament had to take a vote on whether to declare war, um, it was it was a lot tighter mm. uh, than than was expected, and there were many who wanted the country to remain neutral. So when when the vote went towards South Africa declaring war on Germany and allying with Britain and her allies it created a schism within the community once again and Frances as an Englishwoman found herself on the wrong side of her community.
0: Mm-hmm. You write about the sense of <clears throat> Kitchener's camps and the scorched earth policy and the the legacy of that war being forever branded on the soul of of these residents. Um, yes. That is a kind of a, a brand that is is carried on from generation to generation in many cases. And there is, without giving away too many plot points, there is that sense of the inevitability of that hatred and division being passed on to the next generation. And yet there is a moment where it is stopped in its tracks in this book, where um, yes. some members yes. refuse to accept the, that burden.
1: That's right. The younger generation actually rise up and to some degree they rescue Frances from the situation she finds herself in because uh, I don't think we're giving anything away when we say that that a shocking event happens Mm. in my fictional town of Allo Glen. And Frances is faced with a choice of being effectively driven out of the community or else staying. And as you mentioned at the start, she's a feisty character. Mm. She's not prepared to be to be booted out if I could put it that way and she wants to stay she's also expecting a child and she feels that it's important to stay and have her child there and introduce her child to this uh, rather troubled community and hope that somehow that will also put a stamp on her acceptance but it's it's it could go either way.
0: It could, it could, and that's that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> um, Frances, uh, a wonderful character, very, very um, sort of independent, spirited, and courageous. And uh, when we meet her at the start of the book, champing at the bit at, at the constraints that society places on her. She's been raised by uh, parents who have doted on her, particularly a father who who doted yes, on her, yes, a mother quite remote at times and we understand through the course of the book why that is but her dad in particular Mm. has encouraged her to think for herself to to dream big dreams at the same time though there's no escaping the position of women at this point in history and she finds herself at at a particularly interesting position because first world war has brought changes in the way women navigate society and what they are allowed to do and expected to do but not that much just yet. Um, This is not the world of Jane Austen, but it's not that far removed from
1: it, is it? No, it isn't. And and Francis, in the 1920s, the late 1920s uh, in England, is expected to get married. Mm. Um, But of course, it it, it is a bit more difficult because (laughs) the, the, the supply, and this sounds awful, but the the supply of young men of marriageable age has been, has been decimated by, by the First World War. So there is competition amongst uh, the young women in Frances' community to, to land a suitable husband. And Frances doesn't make things any easier because she's not particularly keen on being tied down. So although her mother is desperate for her to make a choice, Frances actually is fairly ambivalent. So when uh, her art teacher gives her an indication that she has sufficient talent, perhaps, to make a career as an artist, she latches on to that. And that is what she wants to do. And she hopes that perhaps she might find a man who would support her in her career. And, uh, well, we'll just have to wait and see for the listeners to, <laughs> to <assess laughs> there, there are
0: some wonderful moments, uh, quite early in the book, where you think that perhaps, perhaps she is going to be able to have it all to to navigate those two worlds successfully. And then uh, life gets in the way as it does. Uh, I mean, she's got a wonderful restless energy about her as the youngster arriving in the Cape for the first time. And she has this wonderful, quite eccentric aunt who welcomes her. And um, for the first few months of her stay in, in South Africa, she's trying to craft that space for herself before she is. the rug she is, is ripped from under her.
1: That's right. I mean, she, she does meet uh, a potential suitor in Cape Town and they do fall in love and she thinks that this could be what she's looking for, someone who will love her but will always support her in her art. Uh, and then, uh, as you say, life intervenes and that opportunity disappears. And Frances is faced with a choice. Does she... Uh, Set sail back from back for the UK, having failed in her attempt uh, at independence, or does she make a, a marriage of convenience at the Cape, and make what she can of that marriage and of a new life which takes her to the edge of the Karoo and a town called Aloe Glen?
0: Now the Karoo, for the sake of any listeners overseas who are not familiar with South African geography, a very remote semi desert area it offers the most magnificent vistas and landscapes of of desolation in many places and it's like that even now but Barbara at the mm. turn of the 20th century it would have been even more isolated yes and lonelier space when Frances arrives there she, she writes of feeling a sense of being adrift and cast away from everything that is familiar to her and then there is this wonderful description that she, she initially finds solace in her artist's eye she explores the surrounding landscape she starts discovering that if you look closely yes. it's not as barren as you think there That's are actually right. all kinds of amazing plants that, and she mm. is a botanical artist so there is fascination for her there mm. and she allows the landscape to to open its heart to her she does she, she does hopes the she people will. that's
1: right she she takes a folding stool and she sits in the felt and she draws whatever she can see and she has to look quite closely because the colors are very cryptic and and it's so different from what she has drawn in in the UK in England you know, beautiful roses and things like that. And then, of course, she had come to Cape Town and she'd had all the extravagance of the fainbos and the Proteus. So you're right, Aloe Glenn was a real shock to her, not just... Uh, as, as, as a person, but also artistically, because she thought, what am I going to paint here? Mm. And then, as you say, she looks further. She discovers uh, stone plants. She discovers extraordinary aloes, one of which becomes almost uh, her signature piece. Uh, it's an aloe which she described as pink and armored mm. with thorns and she paints it, and it's not been, I don't think, painted before. And she sends the paintings uh, off to the director, who she met unexpectedly, uh, at Kirstenbosch, and he's very intrigued by it and encourages her. And he believes that she will be able to paint uh, subjects which perhaps have not been painted before. So artistically, there are opportunities for her that open up Uh, in an area that she never thought would be there for her.
0: Barbara, the description of her artist's process and the creation of those works is intricate and detailed and suggests a knowledge in the writer of the process of making art, but I understand that's not necessarily the case. You're not an accomplished artist yourself. I'm
1: not at all. I I play the piano, I'm a musician, but I'm not an artist. In fact, I I really am hopeless. (laughs) So it was necessary to take some lessons because... I needed to be able to talk about art uh, in an informed manner. I needed to know the vocabulary that Francis would use. I needed to know the equipment that she would use. And, for example, the, the paint colours that she would employ. And so I went back to look at the catalogues and the historical records of companies that supplied paint to artists in Mm. the 1930s and 40s to find out what the paint colours were called so for example uh, things like Viridian Green and Pyrrole Red so that I would be able to put those colours uh, on her brush Mm. so that she could paint them accurately but it was a a shock for me to have to learn all of this and and a real challenge uh, in the book I also learnt that it was possible uh, to make images with charcoal. And that's all I'm going to say Which on the is subject. Which very
0: central to a key plot point, for sure. Yes. For sure. We'll leave it at that, though. Um, I have to, though, compliment you on, um, I mean, the immersion in the detail of the artist's world, not only the creative space, but also the commercial element was very interesting for me to read. You know, was it really possible for someone to make a living as a botanical illustrator you demonstrate in a way how that becomes possible uh, but also th- the world of the art auction,
1: the art yes. museums what becomes of yes. these pieces
0: it's it's one thing yes. for the artist to create them um, how did you go about researching that aspect?
1: Well, well that was really quite difficult because uh, when I contacted auction houses um, and I talked about a unique piece uh, of art that had been created in the 1940s and what it would have sold for in the early 1950s it was difficult to get a figure from them because they wanted to tell me what the art would have been worth today Mm. because that of course is the key thing yeah and so it it was necessary to do some some sort of mathematical calculations and to research further to find out more or less what art sold for in the early 1950s Uh, i discovered That the American art market was much more buoyant uh, than the UK art market, which had suffered greatly during the Second World War, naturally, and some uh, of of the auction houses had not survived. So that that was that was a challenge, because um, when Francis's particular work of art is auctioned, the uh, the funds that would accrue from that were going to be crucial for her future. Mm. So I had to make sure that I got the sums of money correct or as as close as possible.
0: I want to circle back to your fictional town of Allo Glen. I'm aware of the fact that this is the second novel that you've set in the Karoo. Do yes. you have a particular sense of personal attachment to the area?
1: I do. Of course, my grandparents uh, um, arrived in Craddock in the Karoo and we visited there as a family. I spent holidays in the Karoo. So I, I know it pretty well. And I also found that, that the Karoo is, I think, in its very starkness, it's it's rather a metaphor for South Africa, um, that you have to look hard for the beauty at times, that there is a harshness to it, there is drought. And... I found that it was, it was a wonderful backdrop for two of my books. Mm. And Frances, in the end, discovers uh, that as well. She learns to love the Carew. Uh, and I think her, f- her father says to her at one stage that, that the beauty is not obvious. It requires grit and persistence. Mm. And he says, you possess that, Frances, and that's why you've made a success of it.
0: The other wonderful thing he says to her is to encourage her at that moment, she sets off into this great unknown of her new marriage, that you can still be the person you want to be.
1: Yes. And she very much does craft that for herself She does her bootstraps, doesn't she? She does. And, and there's an interesting aspect to it as well because I mentioned earlier, of course, she makes a marriage of convenience. And her husband, Julian, is the local school teacher. Uh, in Allo Glen and at first it is a marriage co- of convenience they are fond of each other but not much more than that and slowly through the years in fact Frances uh, who originally thought that the marriage of convenience was was rescuing her realizes that actually she has rescued Julian mm. that Julian is a better man for having married her. So there is a poignancy to that relationship, uh, which is set against, of course, um, the man that Frances fell in love with in Cape Town, who she lost to someone else. So there, there is, there is um, a how could I could call it really? Frances is torn between fondness, genuine fondness, and love for for Julian the man she mm. married out of convenience but also she's still remembering Mark Charlson with whom she fell in love in Cape Town and who unexpectedly uh, reappears in the book and
0: we won't say more we than that. won't say more <laughs> than that the one thing uh, we must touch on as well, going back to the subject of, of division and being torn, we've spoken about the tear, the deep rift between the English and Afrikaans-speaking communities at this point in South African history, but of course also bubbling under, just ready to boil over at the end of the Second World War, our racial divisions and the the coming apartheid future which lay in store. Now, in the town of Allo Glen, um, Frances arrives as an outsider. She doesn't know how things are done. She has... A kind of relationship with some of the people who work for her or uh, work in laborers' jobs in the town—that is not the norm for the schoolmaster's wife. And um, really, it, it forces us to question the concept of just who are the good neighbours in that town, because That's at that right. moment of crisis, they are the ones. Who they come are the to ones who step
1: up and come to her aid. And she says at one stage towards the end of the book, um, after the Second World War is finished. She says there is a new war to come. And although I don't make a huge amount of it in in this book, um, she recognises that racial discrimination is going to get worse. Um, One of the characters in the book, who is a particular uh, enemy of her, I suppose you could say, um, becomes a member of parliament. And, of course, South Africa moves towards the system of apartheid. And and Frances sees that um, and she wonders what will happen to the community mm. in Allo Glen, uh, to the people that supported her and who weren't the same colour as she was. And so, in a way, the book hints at what lies ahead.
0: Frances looks at everything with the eye of the artist and she looks deeply she looks for detail she looks in where others look away you could say that she she does that socially as well she and in the end without giving away any plot lines she forces the town not to look away from itself Uh, there is a confrontation of sorts that happens um that really is saying i wanted them to see who they were and acknowledge it
1: that's right and and francis in a way has what i would call a <clears throat> excuse me a soft revenge mm. because she she forces people to look inside themselves and to recognize things that they didn't really want to see and in fact she she has been a catalyst for that her very presence in the town is a provocation and the fact that she is able to uh, to put across her views And to be accepted, sometimes grudgingly and sometimes with a whole heart, I think says a lot for her and also says a lot for the community and the younger members of the community who in particular see where history is going and see what is going to happen. And they support her. And it's controversial because they are in conflict uh, with their parents' views.
0: Who was it that said that well-behaved women so seldom make history? Uh, you've crafted one of those <laughs> who is prepared to stand up and speak when society would tell you yes. to sit down and be quiet. And actually, early in the book, somebody says it's best to keep your, your clo- a closed mouth and an open mind, particularly when it comes to, to the legacy of the Anglo-Boer War. Uh, Barbara, I mean, do you hope that Francis as a character and that way of seeing the world and refusing to look away – will inspire others to consider being I'm, a little bit more bold.
1: I, I hope it does. I hope it does. I, You know, when you think of somebody uh, in the 19, late 20s, early 30s, coming uh, to South Africa on her own at the age of 20, uh, in those days, if you didn't like it, you couldn't just go back home, really. You couldn't hop on a plane. So uh, – And that's the same for for people setting out on a migration journey these days. It's it's very, very daunting. So I hope people will read this book and think of Frances as this uh, pioneering young woman who had a vision that she could be an artist, but also, as it turned out, she changed the community that she entered, hopefully for the better.
0: Barbara, she's going to live in my mind for a long time. I wonder, as the writer, have you let her go and already started brewing the next story and the next uh, character? Or does, do you let her I'm take the to, I'm for going, a I'm
1: going to let her simmer for a year <laughs> or so uh, and then see what happens. Um, yes, I, I can't say anything more at this stage.
0: Well, it's been an absolute delight having you join us on PageCast today. Barbara Mutch, the author of The Fire Portrait. Her previous two novels are The Housemaid's Daughter and The Girl from Simons Bay. Uh, lovely to have you back in South Africa to chat to us as well and share the story in the country Thank of you. your birth. Thank you for joining us. Thank
1: you. And, and just one thing uh, to mention to our listeners, I do have quite an extensive website, com, and you can have a look at that to see more background to all three of the books and reviews and interviews.
0: The Fire Portrait is available now in all good bookstores and online outlets. There is an ebook version and an audio book available as well. Uh, the novel published by Alison and Busby, it's distributed in South Africa by Jonathan Ball Publishers and retails at roughly 320 rand in the uh, soft cover printed version. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode of PageCast, just remember that there is plenty more out there. You can find all our previous episodes on your favourite podcast streaming platform. Barbara, much lovely to have you with us today. Thank Thank
1: you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.